2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, before we uh, jump into today's text, uh, I want to remind you, in case you weren't with us last week, it's sort of, uh, we sort of laid a foundation for what's going to happen uh, today. We looked at uh, two blind guys that Jesus healed, and he healed them, and he said, according to your faith, uh, may it be done. And we, but we talked about the kind of faith that believes even when it doesn't see. We talked about faith that persists even when nothing changes, and we talked about a faith that works even when it doesn't make sense. Now, we were singing earlier about being amazed by Jesus, but there's a couple of times in Scripture when the Word of God says that Jesus was amazed by us, by folks. In Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, the Roman centurion sends one of his people out to Jesus, and he says, uh, uh, say the word and my servant will be healed. And they, they set up the story and said, this guy's a great guy. He helped us build a synagogue. And would you come? And when he got there, that's when the centurion came out and he said, Lord, I don't deserve you in my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And the word of God says this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at his faith. Another place in scripture talks about when Jesus was amazed is in Mark chapter 6. And he spoke at his hometown of Nazareth, and it says this, he could not do many miracles there, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. So maybe last Sunday, if you were here, we talked about faith, we talked about faith that continues through all of those challenges, and even when the answer hasn't come yet, and maybe today as you think about the times in Scripture when Jesus was amazed by faith and by a lack of faith, Maybe you identify more with those folks in Nazareth whom Jesus described them and said he couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Which do you identify with today? I want to ask you this to set, set the table as well. Do you ever find yourself looking for something that you misplaced? If, you're, if you have a loved one who misplaces things a lot, don't raise your hand. Just point at them if they're here with you today. Maybe they're pointing at you. You misplace your keys a lot. Uh, how many of you kids, your mom misplaces her sunglasses on her head sometimes? And it's not even the early 90s anymore with the giant hair, you know. I bet back then girls could lose, you know, multiple pairs of sunglasses in those, those hairdos back in the day. Maybe you lost your Bluetooth and it was in your ear or you're looking for your phone and it's in your hand. That's, that's, that's even worse. You, uh, let me ask you this, have you ever lost your passion for God? Maybe not completely, but have you lost the passion that you once, that you once had? Maybe at one time you had great faith, the kind of faith that might have even amazed our Lord, but it, it just, it just subtly sort of slipped. Maybe you prayed to God for great things in your life for hard hearts in your loved ones or your co-workers or your neighborhood, that hardened hearts that were just lost in sin and you just believed God and prayed to God for them to come to saving faith. Maybe at one time in your life, you, you seemed to go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience and you didn't have some deep valleys, you just sort of continued on up the summits from peak to peak in your relationship with, with the Lord. Maybe you lost part of that passion. Maybe you lost it all. Maybe you lost your joy. 
Maybe you used to have a deep-seated contentment in your life and in your marriage and in your relationships, and it's just sort of faded, faded away. Maybe you had something very important spiritually, but you lost it. You accidentally lost it. You subtly lost it. Maybe your faith would not be amazing to Jesus. Maybe it's not persisting. Maybe it's not believing. Maybe it's not working. And you would amaze Jesus according to your lack of faith, and you don't really like falling in that category this morning. In 2 Kings chapter 6, it's one of the oldest miracles uh, that we have recorded. Elisha, in his life, remember a few years ago we, we taught about Elisha and his calling, God's calling on his life through Elijah, and maybe you're here. I got a, a phrase from Stephen Furtick that I really like. When God called Elisha through Elijah, there was no turning back to the point that he killed the cows and burned the plows. You remember that phrase from Elisha's life? He, 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 he broke down the plows and used them as fuel for the fire and had a big barbecue for his friends because he said, God has called me and there's no going back to my old life. Another miracle in, in Elisha's life, or a miracle in Elisha's life, happens around 800 B.C. was when he was ministering. It was about 150 years after the reign of King David. And uh, Elisha has performed some incredible miracles. This is not one that we would normally think of as that massive because he had, he, he had healed their water. He had uh, raised a guy from the dead. Raised a guy from the dead in the power of the Lord. And we're not going to look at those today, but in 2 Kings 6... In the life of Elisha, we're, we're going to look at something that happens here uh, that's a miracle, and I think today, if you've lost your faith, if you've fallen away, it can help you get your spiritual edge back. 2 Kings 6, verses 1 through 7, the company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. You see, God had called Elisha through Elijah, and Elisha was now passing on the prophetic ministry to some young men uh, uh, in that part of, of Israel. And they had outgrown their school of the prophets. Verse 2. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. They said, we want to go cut down some trees along the Jordan. And Elisha says, go. Verse 3. One of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees as one of them, one of these, these uh, young men, verse 5, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. He, not like the Beatles, my sweet Lord, but oh, my Lord. He's, he's not talking. I'm sorry, that just popped into my head, you know. Oh, look, a squirrel. But um, He's talking to Elisha. It's a term of endearment. It's not blasphemy. He says, oh, my Lord. I may have just blasphemed, but let's go back to the text. Verse 5. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The axe head falls off the handle into the Jordan, and this young uh, seminary student is panicking. It was borrowed, he says to Elisha. Verse 6. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And when this young man showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the Jordan there. He threw it there. And made the iron float, in verse 7, he said to the young man, lift it out. Then the man reached out his hand, and he took the axe head. What's the significance of the floating axe head before we move on? It's this. In, in 800 B.C., give or take a few years, 
iron was very valuable and it was very hard to come by. And by the way, this student at the School of the Prophets, was a, he was a non-profit prophet. You may want to write that down. I know Welchel will appreciate that. He was a non-profit prophet, and he wouldn't have been able to pay for it. Now, you say, why is that a big deal? Here, here's why before we move on. This simple miracle, if nothing else today, says to us that God cares about the little things in our lives. That was a big thing financially in that ancient world, but he cares about the little things. You say, God cares about an accent. He cares about an accent. He cared about this young seminary student who would not have been able to replace that accent. You got a chemistry test coming up this fall, students? Some of you graduate students have the GRE to take uh, in the days ahead to get ready for grad school. God cares about those things. Your car won't start. You're having a difficult time paying the bills. God cares about the little things in your life. I don't know if you pray for God to give you relief from a headache, to heal you, or to make that medication kick in quickly. I don't know, but I know this. God cares about the simple day-to-day things in our lives, and he will touch us and he will reach out to us. All we have to do is ask. Did you notice in the text, there's no pause in the narrative for that young seminary student, that young nonprofit prophet in the school of the prophets. There's no pause there as he asked for Elisha to help him, and obviously for God's power in Elisha to help him. God cares about the little details in our lives. But let me say this. Write this down if you're taking notes. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. That's what I want you to get today. If you've lost your spiritual edge, if you once had a passion for the Lord, and now you're, sing- you're singing the old hymn, I was sinking deep in sin, Wee! You know, that's not how it goes, okay? Maybe you're, you, 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 you know the definition of backsliding? Anybody know that definition? At some point in my life, I was closer to God than I am today. That's what we're talking about. Maybe you didn't mean to get to that point. Maybe you're not singing that hymn in a goofy way that I did with your voice, but maybe your life has followed that pattern. Today, God wants, you, God wants to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. We're talking about the axe head, but... Let's use that metaphor today to apply to our spiritual life. Have you lost your spiritual edge? Some of you would say there's a time in my life when I used to run with a godly crowd, but not so much anymore. Maybe you used to serve in the church, used to use your spiritual gifts, used to use your spiritual muscles to their fullest. Maybe you would get up early and pray with the passion for God to fervently move in your life. Maybe you're like the guy in the church I planted in Florida with my wife and my kids, and I told you last week, he came to me and said, I'm believing God, I'm praying for God to see 3,000 souls saved and baptized and for us to plant three other churches in three years. That's a radical prayer. Most guys, most preachers, most folks want their church to be built and their offerings to go up. This guy's talking about the kingdom of God. Maybe. Your friends aren't that godly anymore and you don't serve much at all. Your prayers are only at meals or when you're desperate. Maybe this morning you don't remember the last time that you shared your faith, even with someone that you loved. You've lost your spiritual edge. Can you lose your spiritual edge even if you come to church every week? It's possible for a man of God to stand in the pulpit 
and deliver the word when maybe that previous week he's only studied the word to get ready to preach instead of in private devotion with the Lord. It's possible to pray publicly when you haven't prayed privately all week. It's possible to be a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. I know because that has been my testimony at times in my life. Bill Hybels said it this way at a pastor's conference. He said, men and women of God, the work, the work of God in your church can destroy the work of God in you if you're not careful. We can lose our spiritual edge. Can you, can you relate this morning? Are you a full-time mama but a part-time follower of Jesus? Students, are you about to be full-time students but maybe... You, you're just a part-time follower of Jesus. Maybe you got a great business that you run. You're a phenomenal businessman or businesswoman, but maybe you've lost that intensity and that passion, that faith that you once had. Maybe you've lost your spiritual edge. You didn't mean to lose it, but you did. You didn't mean to stop praying with your spouse, but you did. You didn't mean to fall back in the old patterns of addiction, but you did. You didn't mean to drift from the love and intimacy with God that you once had, but you did. You did not mean to pursue the emptiness of material possessions, but you've done it. You did not mean to become a part-time follower of Christ, but that's exactly who you are. So what do you do when you're swinging away and the axe head comes off? What do you do when you've lost that which you never meant to lose? How do you get your spiritual edge back? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're so inquisitive this morning. I'd like to share with you a couple of truths from the Scripture. I'd like to share a couple of truths from the Scripture. First, look at verse 6. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And the seminary student showed him the place. The first truth is this. I've got to be honest about where I lost it. I've got to be honest about where I lost it. I need to, in, 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 in conviction of the Holy Spirit, in dealing with God privately and maybe some outside counsel, I need to discover at what point in my life that that fell off. I need to be honest about where I lost it. I need to be honest about where I started to slip. I need to look back at some wrong friends and some wrong decisions and some wrong timing and maybe a wrong relationship. I've got, to, I've got to discover, when did I quit studying the Word of God? When did I quit praying to God in conversation and quit sitting still in prayer before God? Where did I lose my spiritual, blank, uh, spiritual edge? Maybe you were in a bad situation in a church. You had a bad experience, and you're blaming God, or you're blaming preachers, and you're carrying around baggage. And Paxton says, if you're, if, if you're comfortable, lift your hands, and you can't do it because you've got... You've got two suitcases filled with hurt in a church from your past. Be honest about where you lost your spiritual edge. Notice there's no argument from the seminary student. When he cries out to his, to his teacher, to his, the man of God in his life, to Elisha, Elisha said, where did you lose it? Just right there. You ever drop something in the lake? And you know where it is, but you, can't, you go down and you can't find it. I recently lost prescription Oakleys again. And the bad thing is, I had one of those floaty you know, things that goes on it. And it floated, but the glasses didn't. And they, 
If you're in the middle of you, it's about 35 feet down if you could help me get those. Because I was like, it just went right there. But I didn't have Elisha to get my Oakleys, and uh, I didn't mean to lose them. But I did. Maybe you lost your spiritual edge. You just need to be honest with the Lord. I lost it right there. I don't want to go back there and repent and get back on track with my Savior. The second, the second step to take in getting your spiritual edge back is in verses 6 and 7 as well. The man of God asked where did it fall, and he showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, Elisha said, and the man reached out his hand and took it. With God's help, just take back what you've lost. With God's help, take it back. You can sit around and analyze it. You can sit around and, and, and discuss it. You can create a pity party every time it comes up. You can take the baggage from a previous experience in a church and put it on that new church you're in. You, you can continue in the negative, but just with God's help, with empty hands, pointing to the place where you lost it, just take it back. Just take back your passion. Elisha said, lift it out. Only God can make the axe head float. But did you notice this young seminary student had to reach down and grab it? Only God can restore your spiritual passion, but he may call you to put yourself in a place again where that passion's more likely to be restored. Only God can heal the hurts of the past, but he may be calling you to go and live in faith. Listen, you don't feel your way into an action you act your way into a feeling. Say, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord. Just worship the Lord. I don't feel like studying my Bible yet. Just study your Bible. I don't feel like sharing my faith. Just share my faith. I don't feel like being a loving spouse like we once had in our home. Just be that loving spouse. Only God can make the axe head float, but he's going to ask you to bend over and pick that thing up when he makes it float. With God's help, take back what you've lost. He wants you to take back what you lost as he brings it within your reach. What does the devil say to you? You've been gone too long. You've fallen too far. You've messed up too much. You've invested too many weeks or months or years in the wrong life. There's no way for you to get back. God can never bring you back to the place you were in relationship to him. Oh, you'll continue to amaze God but it'll be because of your lack of faith instead of the intensity of your faith. If you're already saved, the devil just wants to keep you defeated until your life is over. God wants you to take back what you've lost. You've not gone too far and you've not done too much. Listen, because our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. Anybody awake? That's pretty good stuff. Maybe you can't do anything in conversation with your kids but have an argument. God never intended for you to get there. Maybe your marriage is a marriage of convenience and a marriage of, of financial bond instead of spiritual intimacy. God never intended for you to get there. Maybe you haven't served in the local church. You've just been like an NFL football game where there are 22 men in desperate need of rest and 80,000 in desperate need of exercise. Maybe you haven't served the Lord in a while. He doesn't want you sitting on the sidelines. He wants you in the game. So how do you get it back? How do you get it back? Perk up a little. We're almost done. You may get to lunch early today. How do you get it back? Simply this. 
You do what you can do, and you trust God to do what you cannot do. You do what you can do, and you trust God to do what you cannot do. Can you restore your spiritual passion and faith? No, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Get yourself into the Word of God. Get yourself into the things of God. You don't feel like passionate faith in your life? Hang out with some men. Hang out with some women who are passionate in their faith, and you're probably going to be caught up into the vortex of that momentum in their lives. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Notice what Jesus said. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and watch this. Repent and do the things you did at first. Say, I don't feel like going to church. Go to church. I don't feel like studying my Bible. Study your Bible. I don't feel like serving. Serve. If you waited until you felt like acting and doing the right thing, you'd never get anything done, would you? My kids would still be in diapers in the eighth grade and the senior year in college. I never felt like changing a single diaper. You don't feel your way to an action. You act your way into the place God wants you to be. When he causes the axe head to float, you reach out and grab it. If you want what you once had, you have to do what you once did. You, you do what you can do this morning, and you trust God to do what you cannot do. Let's pray together. Father, simple, simple narrative delivered as a simple metaphor this morning. Lord, we're amazed by you, but we know sometimes our lack of faith is what we do to amaze our Savior. Father, we don't want that. We want an intense connection with our Savior through the Spirit of God in our lives. God, we want a passion for God and compassion for people in our lives. Father, we want to study the Word of God, not because we have to, but because these are the love letters of our Creator to us. God, we want meaningful, fulfilling marriages. We want a home where our kids grow in the grace of God. Father, like you grew your own son. God, we want a church where men and women and teenagers and boys and girls are filled with the Spirit of God and are passionate about their faith. They love the house of God. They love the Word of God. They love the kingdom ministry of God in their lives, in our community. God, but some of us this morning, we've lost it and we never intended to. God, may we today, in the power of the love of Christ, take back what we didn't mean to lose. God, if there's someone here today who's heard these messages on faith and they just feel bad, pray they'd give that to you, God. May they step out and take the hands of one of these couples and just have the love of God prayed into and declared into their lives. God, if there, if there are some folks here who just, they know that they have been saved, but their joy is gone, give it back to them today, God. If there's, if there's some folks here by running with the wrong crowd and making the wrong decisions have walked far away from you, may they come back today to the love of our Savior. And God, if there's somebody today that would say, I can't get this figured out because I don't even know if I've given my life to Christ in the first place, may they be sure today 
Father. It's by your hand that we can be restored. It's by your hand that we can live victorious lives. It's by your word that we can live the abundant life and not settle for that which the devil wants to steal from us and destroy in us. Today, God, may we return to you. May we do what we can do as you do in our lives what we cannot do this morning and the days ahead. That's our prayer in Jesus' name.